You're listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of STM Live. Uh, We took a short break last week, so no, you did not miss the last show. It just didn't happen. Uh, But thank you all for being here. So excited. So happy to see all of you tonight. Um, Already seeing a bunch of people in the chat. Uh, First and foremost, we have to welcome our new squad members, Jeremy and JCK Patriot. Welcome to the squad. Uh, Being a member of the squad gets you all kinds of really cool stuff. We've talked about it before, uh, like early access to our films, you know, in ad-free 4K. Good evening to Scott. Good evening to Deuster of cryptids and critters paranormal good to see you brother mark alexander brian hell man look at all you guys Ristal is here don dini is here squad member gil favor is here i love this rosa jennings rose evans and mercedes jimenez good to see you all uh today is november the 12th which means it is diwali so a very happy festival of lights to any of our friends who celebrate and again thank you all for being here gosh it's great to be back couple announcements at the top of the hour, and then we will get into speaking with our guest of honor. Uh, We do have a new episode of The Lore You Know coming out tomorrow for you guys. This week's guest is uh, my good buddy, Mr. Michael David Strayer of the Moth Boys podcast, STM author, uh, a dad. He's a dad. He's a super great guy. Um, If you are not familiar with Michael's work, you're definitely going to want to check that out. And of course, we always have to mention Kickstarter 2024 is coming on February 1st of next year. Um, it occurs to me that, you know, if, if you haven't been a part of an SDM Kickstarter before, you may not know what that is. And what that does is it gets you on the ground level of our next wave of films. You get early access to them. You have uh, digital and physical copies. You have options to commit at different tiers and get all kinds of different rewards. We've been dropping teasers on our social media this week for some of the designs that are coming out as a part of that Kickstarter. So keep an eye on that. Don't miss it. Two of the projects you'll have the opportunity to back our Sasquatch Unearthed Season 3, which uh, shout out to my buddy Zach. If you're listening, you were right. You did make a promo for this. Uh, we, we could not remember if we had a promo for this. And Zach was pretty sure he'd made one. And he was right. Um, in addition to that, because we all need more Bigfoot in our lives, the next installment of the On the Trail of Bigfoot series is coming as a part of that campaign, The Ancients. You're not going to want to miss this one. And of course, speaking of things you don't want to miss, Monster Fest 2 is coming on June 29th of next year. Uh, I will be there. Other members of the STM crew will be there. Uh, I think I think pretty much everybody will be there. And we can't wait to see you guys and hang out. Uh, question in the chat. I want to just go ahead and get to this real quick. Vincent Smith, how do I become a member or subscribe? Uh, you just head over to the Small Town Monsters YouTube channel, Vincent. Um, and there's an option there to become a member. And then you select your membership options and go from there. Super cool. Feel free to hit us up if you have any issues with that. All right, so let's not dawdle too much at the top of the hour. Uh, you guys didn't hear come here to hear me read off a list of announcements. Please welcome, finally, to the Small Town Monsters live stage, <laughs> after, after much ado, Mr. Larry Beans Baxter. How are you, brother? I'm here. <laughs> I made, made it. it. Uh, yes. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. I want to uh, apologize to everybody for the last time. Uh, that's just... 
that's how it is in Alaska. Sometimes, you know, you think uh, you're going to have re reliable means of communication, then it, it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, we have that. to bring, yeah, we have to bring our internet up by dog sled and uh, things happen. <laughs> hey man, no, it, it is not an issue at all. I know everybody was, and is still very excited to hear from you. Um, for those of you who weren't here last time, uh, uh, Larry tried to join us. The internet did not arrive by dog sled on time and it didn't happen. So this is a much anticipated interview. I'm so excited. I hope you're all excited as well. Uh, another shout out to Dewey Edwards says, Hey beans. Just wanted to get that up there. Gotta hey, say Dewey. <laughs> Gotta say hi to Dewey. All right. So for anyone who may not be familiar with you and your work, anybody who's just getting into the Sasquatch stuff, um, who are you? Well, um, I was born in Kentucky, uh, grew up there always. I mean, just, you know, I lived across the street from a library and my favorite books were always like, uh, books that dealt with like strange and unexplained stuff, uh, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts. And those were like my favorite books, subjects. And so I just always kept, kept on, you know, kept an interest in it. And then, uh, you know, I, I became an adult, joined the army. I said, I don't care where the army sends me as long as it's nowhere cold and straight to Alaska. I went and um, the joke was on them, though, because I actually love it here. And uh, I've been here pretty much ever since. And uh, I uh, got up here and thought, you know, there's there's Bigfoot stuff going on up here. Maybe uh, maybe I should uh, take a look myself and then try and uh, see what I can find. And I just got hooked. You know, I I started looking around. I started finding things that not like definitive things, but enough to keep me interested. And, uh, I've just, uh, I, I you know, I'm, I'm addicted to it, I guess, uh, at this point, uh, or maybe obsessed. I think as my wife put it at one point, cause I, I remember I was out in the middle of nowhere and I was miserable and I was like texting her like, what am I doing out here? And she's like, I don't know, maybe you're obsessed, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's got its hooks in me for at least for a little while and, sure. uh, no, no signs of letting go. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's worse things to be obsessed with, you know, <laughs> I could make you a list. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and beans, uh, I usually only tell this story during like live appearances. Oh yeah. We do. We do I, have I, a question. Sounds yeah, like you're going to get right I, to I it. Try to, I, love. <laughs> I try to keep it a secret or some mystery behind it. Uh, but uh, I'll go ahead and tell it cause it's uh, small town monsters. Uh, it's not a very exciting story. There used to be a show on back when Fox uh, first like became a network and they were showing like Married with Children and 21 Jump Street and uh, a few other shows. Well, there was a show in that like lineup that didn't make it. It didn't go very far. And it was called Beans Baxter. And it was about uh, a kid, a teenager who uh, his dad was a spy and the dad got kidnapped by the bad spy agency, you know, like uh, Spectre or whatever, you know, and he got recruited by the agency to go like do spy stuff and like look for his dad and it didn't last very long. Uh, and I don't really remember that much about it. I don't remember it being that particularly good. Uh, but his last name was Baxter. My last name was Baxter. People just started calling me beans and it just kind of stuck and it didn't hurt that my dad's name was Larry and my name was Larry. So it was kind of a way to differentiate us. So it just stuck. And you know, it's, it's just, I mean, that's how I think of myself anymore when I'm like, oh, beans, what are you doing? You know, like it's it's like in my inner monologue now. So uh, it's, it's become an integral part of your identity. Yeah, I'm I'm beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go talk to Larry. Which one? 
the bees yeah. want. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's, it throws me off when people call me Larry, and they're like, oh, you know, Larry, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, me? Oh, are you talking Please. to me? Larry's my yeah. father. <laughs> no, that, and that question, if you're listening to the audio version uh, of this show, that question came from Out and About in the Otways, who is listening from Australia. Thank you for that. I had considered asking that question, um, but the audience did it for me. So, yeah. and we <laughs> we do have a comment from uh, DJR85. Love this channel and videos. Watch and listen at work every day to help me get through the day. Thanks so much. We that means a tremendous amount to all of us. So I think I speak for the entire STM team when I say thank you. We're so glad you're enjoying watching what we do. Um, let's see. Let's see. Iron Dagger, Iron Dogger says moose spaghetti is one of my specialties. I don't know what oh, that I know, is. I know Iron Dogger. Oh, moose spaghetti. It's just spaghetti instead of the ground beef. It's with moose. Oh, moose so it's yeah. that's very literal. Oh, I like it. I yeah. like it. <laughs> uh, well, as always, folks, please drop your questions and comments in the chat. Um, we always do our best to get to everybody. We love interacting with you. And we do have a few comments or a few questions already that we'll go ahead and get to. Um, Michael Tovar, always good to see you, Michael, says, uh, Larry, those tree marker cuts, thoughts on who made those? I don't know. Um, it seems to me like my first impression of them was that they were done maybe with like a machete because they were mm. so smooth. Uh, I guess it's it's not impossible that there wasn't maybe uh, some kind of property assessor or a surveyor out there, but it's pretty it's pretty weird. Um, I don't know. I, I think if it was done by a human, I think it was probably done by a machete or, or something. I mean, it definitely looks like a trail marker because they were on both sides of the tree along the, the, the game trail there. Um, but yeah, it, it's my, the only answer I can really come up with is maybe some kind of surveyor or somebody that was out there trying to, to locate some property markers. There are some private lots out there. Uh, you know, there's that the cabins across the bay uh, as well. So maybe uh, it was some uh, some surveyor or a property assessor or something. Uh, I don't know. Hard to say. <clears throat> Excuse mm -hmm. me. I forgot how to talk. Hard to say. Hmm. So I'd like to know how long have you been doing this Sasquatch stuff? You told us a little bit about how you got into it. Yeah. Oh, geez. I think I've. I mean, I've always been interested in it and always read on the subject and, and followed it online and stuff, but I've only really gotten into the field since probably about like 2015 or so. Okay. Uh, and that's when I started actually going out and like doing my own stuff. And has your research pretty much centered on Alaska or have you traveled anywhere else? Uh, oh, I've gone all over the place. So uh, luckily uh, I'm a retired police officer. And the department I worked for, they were really liberal about training. They would let you pick out some, like a training class or something you want to go to, and they would pay for you to go down and, and, and take a class somewhere. And I always tried to pick classes that were somewhere near like Bigfoot hotspots or Bigfoot areas of interest. Oh, that's um, smart. <laughs> so one time I went to, uh, I went to a training in Oregon and, you know, I would take a couple of days of leave at the, at the end of my training or whatever, and then um, go and do some squatching. And uh, so I went to Oregon one time and drove down to Northern California and checked out Bluff, the Bluff Creek area. And then another time I went to some training in Dallas, Texas, and went and checked out Falk, Arkansas. And I've been to Ohio 
and checked out like the Salt Fork area. Uh, where else? Oh, man. I think that's about it as far as I can. Of course, Washington, you know, Eastern Washington, but most of that was on my own time. But, but yeah, it was, I got, you know, I was able to like, oh, well, I, there's a class on this and I'm interested in it. I can go to this class and then it's just an hour away from this place or that place. So, you know, I, I got to travel around a little bit and check out some, some really cool places. That's cool, man. I love that you mentioned that drive from Dallas to Folk, Arkansas. I've done that a couple of times. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a fun pilgrimage. <laughs> that yeah. one resonates with me. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's a comment. I just, I want to make sure I throw up there. Lori Gibbs, um, love you believe, or I love you believe literally I live in Washington state and persons look at me like I'm nuts. Um, I, I think Lori's referring to believing in Sasquatch. I don't mean to infer anything, but you're not nuts. I'm just gonna, just gonna throw that out there, Lori. A lot of us here believe in Sasquatch. So just saying, just saying, uh, here's a question from the audience, from our friend Gil Favor. Um, hi, Larry. Have you ever done any DNA trace evidence collection of fresh animal remains of suspected Sasquatch kills? Oh, that's an interesting one. You know, I haven't. Uh, most of the, the animals I come across that are deceased, uh, they're either so deceased, I don't, you know, there's not much left of them. Uh, and the other ones that are usually the fresher kills, I can usually determine like, okay, this is a bear kill or or whatever. And I usually, you know, I, I've never done that. Uh, if I ever found one and I couldn't determine what the cause of death was, and I thought there was a good, like a wound or something where I could get some DNA, I probably would. I usually do carry some kind of uh, forensic collection kit with me when I'm out and about. Hmm. We'll have to talk more about that because I'm always interested in the technical stuff because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, Hike with Mike has a question for us. Um, have you spent any time in Florida to research the skunk ape? No, I haven't. Um, part of me really wants to check it out, but another part of me thinks that Florida is like the Australia of America. It is. And there's there's a lot of things there, you know, like crocodile. Like, give me a moose or a bear any day. I don't want to deal with snakes and spiders, uh, especially poisonous ones. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I, I like Florida. I think I've been to Florida. I've just never been squatching in Florida. Uh, I think the the idea of the skunk ape is pretty, uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of stories down there and there's plenty of land around the Everglades. And I think that would be, I mean, it wouldn't, it would be a hard life, but it wouldn't be any harder than it is up here in Alaska with the, the cold. Um, yeah. You know, it would just... be, you know, it's a more temperate climate down there. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's intriguing, uh, the stories of the skunk ape, uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll get down there and, and check it out. You hit the nail on the head. Um, and I say that as a central Floridian native, um, it's, it's very inhospitable. People were not meant to live there, but no <laughs> skunk ape is fascinating stuff. So I, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. <laughs> uh, Ristal asks beans. What was your first impression of the handprints you collected on the back wall of the cabin? Also, was that evidence collection trip your first time to Scott's camp? Uh, it was not my first trip. Um, I'd been out there several times before. And my first impression when I saw it was like, how the hell did that get there? Because it was in such an awkward position because it was behind one of the water tanks. You know, you would have to stand, you know, the water tank would be between you and the cabin and you would have to lean forward. And then it was kind of about my head height, about six foot or so off the ground. So it was just in a really, really odd position. Uh, and, and the way it was, it was 
you know, it was facing like, I'm trying to figure out how the camera's working here. Right, I'm always like, way. yeah, and, you know, right's left, left is right. Uh, and it was just facing an odd direction for it to be just someone out there, like leaning up against the cabin and, and working on something. Um, and you know, I was out there when we installed the uh, the gutters on the back of the cabin, and I mean, that was oh, geez, it was like a year or more before that handprint was found. So I don't think it was a handprint that was left over from that. It just doesn't make any sense that it would last that long and be that visible. Um, it's not really so a, we, a natural yeah. place for most people to put their hand, like even somebody that's really tall, right? If you're six foot tall, you're, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, you know? Yeah, it just, it's in a really weird spot and it's in a really awkward spot. And, you know, it's under that window where they've had, you know, some other stuff going on. The, the story before the cabin was finished, there was a uh, piece of plywood that they were using as a makeshift door. And they had a cooler, a large cooler, not not like, a, I mean, this is one of those big Yeti coolers. Uh, and it was full of stuff. Propping that piece of plywood up and in the middle of the night, something shoved that piece of plywood and that cooler skid, skid all the way across the floor. Uh, of the room so and then they heard something bounding off up the hill thump, 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 thump. so there's been a lot of um, stuff going on in that on that area of the cabin it's one of the few cabins or windows on the back of the cabin that you can like see into uh, the bathroom has like a stained glass thing over it so you can't really like look in there and see uh, so and that's and people sleep in there so there would be like snoring and noises and stuff coming out of there which might draw attention uh, but yeah, it's just in that, it was just such an awkward position and place. Um, I can't wait to find out what the results are. I told my wife, I said, uh, if, if we get something good, we're, you know, we're going to pop some champagne because uh, it might, I know it's not going to be enough if it comes back as a, as a non-human primate, it's not going to be enough to like prove it to the world, but it's going to be enough to prove it to me. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I'm after. I want to know for myself if they're real or not. And uh, I think that would be enough to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love, this isn't really a question. It's just a comment, but I love how, how empirically and scientifically you talk about this. Like you're stating what happened, you're stating the facts surrounding it, but you're not jumping to so clearly a Sasquatch is there, you know? And I think, uh, I think yeah, a lot I of mean, us in this field it, appreciate that. It may come back as human. If it does that, is, it's just damn weird. That's almost as strange as it being not human because just the position it's in, uh, the height that it's at and, it would have had to have been put there over a year before when they were installing the gutters, when people were, you know, on ladders and like, and, you know, cause I, I was running around and helping when they were installing the gutters. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was, it's weird that something would, would be that visible and that, you know, on that, on that 10 siding through rain and snow and all the elements and still there like over a year later. That's strange. Yeah. yeah. It's extremely strange. Interesting stuff, man. What about uh, this being your, was this your first time visiting Scott's camp to collect evidence? Uh, no, I'd been out there several times before. Uh, you know, like I said, I'd been out there like the year before uh, when they were installing the gutters and stuff. And Scott had invited me out there. He found me through my podcast and um, wanted me to come out and check it out. And it just got to the point, you know, where every time, Ever so often when he'd go out, he'd give me a call and be like, hey, we're going out on this trip. We're going out for this. You want to go? And I'd tag along. And sometimes stuff would happen while I was out there, and sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, the first couple of times I went out there, it was pretty pretty dead, pretty quiet as far as activity. But uh, I heard um, 
oh geez, I think it was not last year, but the year before, I heard one of the like clearest Christmas knocks I've ever heard. I was sitting on the porch. It was the middle of the day. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, just sitting on the porch and just heard, just you know, behind the cabin up on the hill, and I, <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me, <laughs> you know, just. You just, there's, it's, I guess if it was predictable and repeatable, we wouldn't be here. You know, we wouldn't be talking about it. It would be a done deal. Uh, but it's right. just so weird how like sometimes you go out there and something happens and sometimes you go out there and nothing happens. And I think that's one of the things that's so refreshing about, you know, a lot of STM work, but the dark coast series, you know, cause you guys go out there and you document what's happening and there's not this like, Oh, we're going to find something, you know, like we're kind of going along on this journey with you, which I know, I think, well, I know just from looking at the comments and views on these videos, that's something people really enjoy. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing. Uh, it's, I would love, I would love it. To, I hope they exist. I'm, I'm pretty sure they do, but at the end of the day, I don't think you're ever going to be able to prove that they don't exist. I mean, mm -hmm. if tomorrow some kind of uh, technology was invented that could scan the planet like Star Trek and say, oh, okay, there's, this many, you know, dogs, this many cats, this many birds and no Sasquatches. I mean, you could, somebody out there would be like, well, you know what? The last one probably died last week, you know? So, Dude, I think about this all the time. Yeah. All we need is one USS Enterprise and we've got it. We can solve all this stuff. <laughs> I love that you mentioned Star Trek. <laughs> let's see. Few more questions coming in. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Mr. Dollar Store Gloves. That's a cool handle. I like the Alaskan rest stop sighting. Have you ever gone back to try to investigate again so you could eat your lunch outside instead of in your truck? Uh, that's actually, it's not in Alaska. It's in British Columbia. Okay. Uh, and I haven't been back because it's in British Columbia. And it's like, I don't know, like, God, what is it? It's a 10 hour drive to Fairbanks. And then it's like a, something like a 20 hour drive from where I'm at. So I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to get back there. Maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> Good question though. A uh, question from Dewey Edwards, the Deuster. Uh, Larry, have you been to LBL in between the lakes? You know, I have, but not, oh God, when was it? It would have been back in like 2006 or seven. And I went there to recreate. I wasn't there, you know, to look for Bigfoot or anything. I took my kids camping and fishing. Um, and you know, growing, I grew up not too far from there and I never heard any of the, the stories or the, the legends surrounding that place. Uh, not till, you know, I got the internet. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting how you can live so close to a place or be so close to a place. And then one day you find out. Yeah. Well, I, li I lived even closer to Hopkinsville where the Hopkinsville goblin thing happened. Oh, no kidding. And yeah. again, I never, you know, I grew up like, oh, geez, I don't know, 40, 40 minutes from there, probably not even, and never heard of that till you know, the, I got the internet. That's nuts. Cause Hopkinsville is only about 30 miles from the LBL. That's crazy. Uh, oh, here's a question from rocker V or rocker five. Have you investigated the Island in Alaska that used to be port lock? Oh uh, yes. Port lock is not an Island. It's at the Southern tip of the Kenai peninsula. So okay. it's, uh, I've been there twice. Okay. Uh, once, once, uh, to film, uh, in search of the port chatham harry man with stephen major and then again to film um the alaska triangle episode for the travel channel okay okay very cool uh, and according to our friend iron dogger uh beans is the author of a great book about port lock i don't know if it's great but i think it's pretty good <laughs> 
we appreciate the humility, but you did write a book about it. So yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. How many books do you have out? I'm just curious for myself. Uh, I have I have three. Um, two of them are Bigfoot uh, centric. There's uh, Abandon, the History and Horror Report Chatham. There's Squatch Cop, which is about investigating the Bigfoot phenomenon using like forensic techniques, law enforcement technique. And then uh, Justice Morale and Other Fairy Tales, which is just a book of cop stories that I accumulated over my my years. Oh, that's cool, man. I wrote one and it nearly killed me. Three? No. <laughs> I try and do one a year. Uh, so far, I've been able to keep it up, but we'll see. It's a challenge, man. Like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily up here, you know, winter, I, I get the winter time. That's my writing time is winter time. So. Mm. That must, that must be interesting just based on how like the seasons and stuff work. Do you have to schedule out different times per year to accomplish different Pretty things? much. I mean, you know, I, when summer hits, it's pretty much just as much outdoor stuff as, as I can do. Uh, fishing, you know, camping, squatching, anything like that. Anything I want to do outside, I try and do it during the summer. Uh, I do get out a little bit in the winter. Sometimes I'll go snowshoeing and stuff, but a lot of the areas I like to go to, they're not really accessible in the winter time. Hmm. Um, but, uh, and uh, you know, they're in a wildlife refuge, so I can't drive an ATV or a snow machine in there. So yeah, I try and do as much outdoor stuff in the summer and then winter time is pretty much just, you know, okay, I'm going to huddle up and, and write a book and work on other things. That's cool. That's very cool, man. I'm just trying to imagine because it's, it's I'm in Texas and it's just always hot here. I can never really use the weather as an excuse or anything. Uh, but speaking of going out in the field, Beaker the Muppet, that's that's a killer handle. I love that. You guys have the best screen names every time I'm on here. Uh, asks, when you go out to do field work, what kind of equipment do you take with you other than your camping supplies? Well, I always try and bring a little evidence collection kit. Uh, I always bring bear spray. I always bring um, a firearm. I always bring, I have a Garmin inReach, which is um, like a satellite location tool. Uh, I can text people with it or I can hit the SOS button. Uh, it's like a personal locator beacon. I think those are, that's probably the most important piece of equipment I have. A lot of the places I go, they don't have uh, cell service. And, you know, if you get in trouble and it doesn't take much to get in trouble up here, you know, just one, you know, one bad misstep and, and, you know, your, your day is ruined, if not your life. And uh, so I, I make sure that I have that with me every time I go out as my, my in reach. It's worth its weight in gold. If you only have to use it once, it's worth every penny you ever paid for it. Hmm. Yeah. Hopefully you don't have to, but <laughs> just in case. Um, we do have a question that I've, I've seen pop up twice now, so I'll just go ahead and answer it. a little bit of a, a diversion here. Um, BH asks, also, Aaron, question for you. Will you be joining the crew for American Werewolves to the Skinwalkers? Um, I was not uh, involved in filming for the Skinwalkers, but I will be on here squawking about it very loudly um, up until and after it comes out. Um, but I will be involved in production of uh, Dogman Territory, Werewolves of the Land Between the Lakes. So. If you're interested in the Dogman stuff, definitely keep an eye on that, folks. Thank you for your question, BH. Uh, oh, and BH has another question. This one for Larry. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Hi, Aaron and Means. Good to be here. Good to have you, of course. Had dinner late. Beans, have you heard of any marine cryptids while doing research in Alaska? Oh, yeah. So there's um, 
the Iliamna Lake Monster, which isn't too far from me. It's across the bay, so it's hard to get to, but it's not too far from me as the crow flies. And uh, I actually have a gentleman uh, in the wings I'm trying to get in touch with who reports seeing a um, Loch Ness Monster type plesiosaur creature in one of the lakes here not too far from me that I actually go to quite a bit. I actually do a lot of squatching there. And uh, it's attached. It, it does connect to the ocean through like a river and another lake. Uh, and his account was basically he was out uh, kayaking or canoeing and he stopped on the shore to take a break. And he was just kind of chilling there on the shore and this thing swims by. And, he, you know, he, I haven't reached out to him. I wanted to get him in, on my show to... Uh, to give his account, but uh, even if he doesn't want to come on, I'd still like to interview him about it and, and get it um, documented because uh, I think it's pretty it's pretty intriguing. Uh, you've got a lot of water up here. Uh, I mean, not only do we have the the coast, the ocean, the Arctic Ocean, and stuff that we're surrounded by, the Bering Sea, uh, but there's a lot of wakes and rivers and uh, just waterways up here, and there's a lot of native tales of marine cryptids and everything else so um i think i i wouldn't be surprised at all now, bigfoot might be up here but i'm i'm sure there's some kind of undiscovered marine animals up here that's the the feasibility is i mean it seems huge without being an expert in zoology it seems you know you've yeah. got all this space it, it, the space alone very fascinating question um, oh, here's a question I like. I like all these questions uh, from J High Note One. Hey, Beans, have you seen any of those trees that are pulled out of the ground and jammed back in upside down? Seems to be all the rage lately. Thanks. Peace sign emoji. I'll go ahead and corroborate that. I do. I'm seeing a lot of this upside down tree stuff online lately. So I, I know what he's talking about. Mostly those are found in south um, southeast Alaska, like. Uh, Juno, Prince Wells Island, places like that. Uh, I do know my friend Rob Roy, who is from Rob Roy Menzies, who runs the Bigfoot Art Gallery. He was telling me that if you go into the Juno Airport and you look at some of the art and, and decorations and, and stuff they have on the wall, he says somewhere in there they have an infographic about how the natives would cut down trees and put them upside down in the in the water when the tide was out and then when the tide came back in they would stand on top of the root balls and hunt whales or something from from the root ball from the top of the tree interesting so, so yeah and i've never heard anybody ever mention that when when talking about this subject um but uh, i i've never been to the juno airport well i have but i didn't know to look for it uh but supposedly somewhere in the Juno airport, there is some kind of uh, info info uh, plaque or something that talks about that. Uh, but that doesn't explain the ones that are found inland, but uh, it might explain some of the ones that are found around the coast. Interesting. I've never heard that before. Cause that no, does come, comes up a lot, yeah. you know? So I gotta give, I gotta give Rob Roy props for, for telling me that that is not my information that I found. <laughs> <laughs> still though man that's cool yeah and rob roy of course has done uh, a lot of art for some of the stm productions that you guys have seen so definitely check him out if you have not done so already uh rocker v or rocker five feel free to let us know which it is i'm so sorry uh are you going back to portlock anytime soon i don't have any plans to go back but never say never um if the right 
circumstances come about. Uh, we wanted to go back. I believe it was in 2021. We were talk, thinking about going back and it just didn't work out. Um, the tribal government had given permission for, or the tribal corporation had given permission for somebody else to go in there and film. Uh, so we, we missed out on that opportunity. We were going to go back and actually do uh, a longer investigation and, and stay you know on the ground with more people, but it just didn't work out. Okay. Okay. So maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, Michael Tovar asks, Larry, what are your top three places to go squatching? Oh, geez. Um, well, number one is Alaska. Anywhere in Alaska that's got a history of, of sightings, I think, is worth checking out. Uh, number two would be eastern Washington. Uh, I know western Washington, you know, the Olympic Peninsula gets a lot of uh, attention and a lot of love, but I think eastern Washington uh, has a lot going on over there. It kind of gets ignored by mainstream Bigfoot community, but uh, eastern Washington is, is where it's at. And then, um, I mean, I got to give some, some hometown love to Kentucky. I think Kentucky has some great spots to go. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in Kentucky, man. Yeah. Just that whole like Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, like triangle in there. There's, there's some weird stuff going on in there. Yeah. Yeah. seems like that whole section of the United States. Yeah. Wild stuff. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, here's a comment on the upside down trees from our, uh, friend, Aaron sleeper squad member trees turned upside down in rivers are called Sawyer's. That's where Tom Sawyer got his name. It's a riverboat term. That's interesting. Never heard yeah, that before. I've never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting anecdote. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Iron dogger asks beans. Do you think the Sasquatch migrate around the state like the bears or remain localized to an area? I think it depends on resources. I think if they can stay in an area and sustain themselves and they have a, a good supply of whatever they need to survive, I think they'll hang around in a pretty localized area. Um, for example, you know, I there's a place up around Sterling where I like to go where I'm certain they were there. Uh, and then we had a rather large fire a few years ago that came through. And I went back in there after the fire. The fire didn't actually burn my area, but it was like all around. And I get back in there after the fire and nothing like no, no vocals, no nothing. And there's a ton of bear sign in there now. Uh, we're used to, I didn't used to ever find bear sign in there. And now there are. So, I mean, I don't, I, I can't even say for a hundred percent that they were in there. But I, my theory, and this is all theory, you know, like anybody that says, well, Bigfoot do this or Bigfoot do that, state that as a fact. I don't, you know, prove it. <laughs> it's all yeah. theory and yeah. it's all theory and hypothesis. Uh, I think probably they were in there, the fire, and they left because of the fire and then the bears moved in. Um, I have my theory that bears and Sasquatch, they don't occupy the same territory. They may come close and they may incur into each other's territories, but I think they do the best they can to avoid each other. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'm curious what, um, two more great questions that I'm definitely going to get to, but I'm curious as to what, what advice might you offer anyone who's interested in traveling to Alaska to go out in pursuit of this stuff? Cause we watch you guys do it, you know, in the documentaries and we're like, Oh, I think I could handle that. At least I say that to myself. And then I yeah. start thinking about the reality of the situation. 
<laughs> and my mind changes. So what what advice might you offer, you know, to people who are thinking? Well, about the first thing I would on? say is research. Uh, you want to look at logistics. Uh, where do you want to go? Can you get there? You know, can you get there in a rental car? Are you going to have to take a boat? Are you going to have to take a plane? How much is it going to cost? Like, can you get where realistically, can you get where you want to get? Because there's a lot of places up here. I mean, I want to, I want to go back to Port Chatham. It's 40 miles away from where I'm sitting right now talking to you. Uh, it would, I could probably get to Hawaii and back cheaper than it would cost me to get somebody to take me to Port Chatham in a boat. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you just kind of got to look at, at logistics. Uh, you know, you got to find somebody that's willing to get you where you want to go. You got to look at, are you going to have sales service in that area? There's a lot of places. Like once you get out of some of the major uh, municipalities, there's no cell service. Uh, there's a few places where like, okay, you can drive between like Homer and Soldatna and you'll have cell service the whole way. You can drive between Soldatna and Anchorage and you'll have cell service 40% of the time. And most of the places where you don't have cell service is where bad things are going to happen. You know, right. you're going to drive off a mountain or something. Uh, so yeah, just research, uh, look at where you want to go, look at the logistics and figure out how to make yourself safe when you're here. Uh, always dress for the weather. I mean, when, anytime you go out in Alaska, you got to basically have the clo clothing for all like four seasons. Cause you really never know what's going to happen. Uh, you might be out and it's, you know, sunny and 60 degrees and then, and you know, an hour or two, it might even, it might snow on you. I mean, you just don't know. That's insane. That's insane. It's kind of like driving to area 51, but much more likely to kill you. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't take much to have a really bad day up here. You know, wildlife, uh, the weather, I mean, it, there, you know, Alaska can, can be a harsh mistress. <laughs> might be putting it lightly, <laughs> at least to people like me who live in the South and, and <laughs> lose their minds when it drops to 60 degrees. That just sounds. Yeah. Well, that's another thing too. You got to think of acclimation. If you're, if you're in Texas and it's 80 degrees and you're like, Oh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Alaska in the summer. Well, it might be 50 degrees here. Yeah. And you're going to come from 80 degrees to 50 degrees. And even though it's summer, you're going to be cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that summer is not our summer. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Here's a question from Mr. Dollar Store Gloves. Uh, Beans, were you witness to any of the rock throwing in Area A? If so, would you say if the rocks were being thrown at you or in an area nearby in general? So the rocks in Area A, uh, I've heard them thrown at the boat. There, there was a little um, skiff, like a little aluminum skiff, kind of like a, like a bass boat in the lower 48. And there were rocks that were coming out of a, a stand of alders. I say rocks. I think it was just like one or two and they would hit the metal boat. So they were coming out arcing and hitting the boat. So they weren't, and we weren't there at the time we were like at the cabin on the, on the deck. So they definitely weren't throwing them at us. They were throwing them at the boat. Um, my personally, again, like I said, I can't prove any of it, but I think my theory is, is that they wanted to hear the sound. They wanted to, they, they, that metallic sound, it's not really something you can replicate in nature. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of metal laying around out in the woods. Uh, so I think that's something that they're fascinated with is the sound that metal makes. You'll, you'll often hear it about them tapping on, you know, people hearing like metal taps and 
things like hitting, you know, like um, 55 gallon drums and, and rocks and stuff like that. It seems like they're fascinated with metal. Makes sense. If you're talking about a, you know, human like creature and it encounters this strange substance for the first time, it makes sense. Huh. That's a great question, Mr. Dollar Store Gloves. Uh, BH asks, Larry, what was the most unsettling hair raising in field experience you had during your years of research? Uh, so that was in Wa Eastern Washington. Uh, we were in an area where there was just some crazy activity going on. Uh, we get there, we're setting up camp. There's uh, vocalizations and knocks going on on the, on the hill above us. And there was this really creepy logging road. Uh, a couple of miles back from the campsite and the guy we were with will omer uh, grassman 58 from uh, bigfoot of stevens county he's like man i've always wanted to go up that road and i never have so we were like let's go so we head up there and we walked up we were walking up this old logging road and we come up on like all these different tracks we saw bear tracks turkey tracks deer tracks elk tra i mean every animal that was in the woods we saw on this logging road um, and I saw mountain lion tracks and that kind of unnerved me a little bit. Cause I'm like, oh, I can, you know, bears and moose, I, I can deal with, but I don't know anything about mountain lions that kind of, they kind of unnerved me a little bit. They're very uh, mean from what I understand. Yeah. Not, not good kitties. No, so no. we get, um, I don't know, we went a mile or two, probably a mile and a half, two miles. And we had to turn around and go back. And I, I was disappointed because it was our last night there and I hadn't seen anything. I'd heard all kinds of amazing things, like just incredible knocks and roars and screams. But I wanted to see something. That's my that's my goal. And so I was like, you guys, I got to I got to go to the little boy's room. I was like, you guys go ahead and I'm just going to hang back and, and just wait, because I'm thinking like one if I'm by myself, I'm more likely probably to see something other than in this big group. Uh, two, if something's following us, you know, if they go ahead, then maybe I'll, we'll, I'll run into it. Uh, and I wasn't thinking like, this is exactly how like every missing 411 story starts. I was just like, I want to go to the bathroom and I want to, you know, separate from the group. So um, they, I let them get ahead a little bit. Uh, I went on the side of the road, you know, number one. And then I was, Fleering, I had a little scout uh, thermal camera and I'm fleering. It's it's still day, it's it's dusk, you know, it's daytime, but it's getting dark. And I'm fleering on the other side of the road while I'm standing with my back to the uh, tree line and fleering across the road. And I, I I don't know what to I don't know how to explain. I just I heard whispering behind me or something like whispering. It was just like like real vague, you know. And just hairs on the back of my neck stood up, freaked me out. Um, I spun around. I'm looking. I'm fleering. Don't see anything. Don't hear anything else. Uh, hindsight being 2020, you know what I never didn't do is I didn't look up in the trees. I, I just spun around and was looking because it sounded like it was like it head level with me behind me, like almost like somebody was standing behind behind me and like whispering in my ear. And uh, so I I. I hurried up. I didn't run, but I, I got out of there and caught up with the rest of the group. And for the rest of the evening, uh, I was terrified. It, it was so weird. Um, you know, I, I'm not bragging, but you know, I, I was a police, I was a soldier and then I was a police officer. So I've been in situations where, uh, my life was in danger, uh, many times 
and you build up what's called a stress inoculation to where, you know, you're not, you know, like, like uh, die hard, you know, like when the, he does something crazy and the kid looks at him and is like, why, why are you so calm? Uh, so eventually, you know, you, you get used to that kind of stuff, but I was terrified at, at this and I was just uh, unnatural fear, I guess is the only thing. And I don't know if it was because I was reacting to, I didn't have a frame of reference, you know, cause like, okay, if I'm dealing with a guy with a gun or a knife or whatever, okay, I've been trained for that. I know how to deal with it. I've never been trained to deal with like disembodied whispering. <laughs> so That's I, I don't know. a different thing. Yeah. yeah. So I was freaked out really bad. Uh, we went back to the campsite. It was our last night there. And I just felt like something was going to happen. I felt like something was going to come and get us, uh, like we were going to be attacked. Uh, Will, the guy that was with us, he said he was feeling uneasy too. And everybody else was just like, oh, well, we're going to bed. And they went to bed. And Will and I set up with our, our guns. Basically, it kept the fire going. And we're just like, you know, when's it going to happen? You know, like, where are they going to come from? And it was about three o'clock in the morning and we're sitting there and we just hear this boom and it wasn't a gunshot and it wasn't a tree knock. I, I don't know what it was. It was just a big wow. boom sound. And Will looks at me and he goes, is it just me or did the atmosphere change? And I'm like, no, you're completely right. Like it was almost like somebody flipped a switch and I wasn't scared anymore. It was the damnedest thing. And it's the most unexplainable thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and I ended up going, you know, going and getting some sleep because I had to drive everybody out of there the next morning. But uh, that was, that's the creepiest thing that's, that's ever happened to me. And I, I cannot explain it. Bro, that's, I mean, anybody whispering your, in your ear in that situation, never mind. Yeah. Just well, no thank you. And I tried to rationalize it because I'm like, well, you know, I have a plastic water bottle in my backpack. Maybe it got squeezed and air was escaping and it sounded like whisper you know i'm trying to i'm trying to like come up with an explanation for this like you know and i pull my water bottle out and i'm squeezing it and it's airtight and i just i could not i i couldn't figure it out i couldn't recreate it i don't know what it was nah no thank you oh no <laughs> that's that's creepy oh uh, Christina, Christina Benoit asks, have you heard of any family groups of Sasquatches in Alaska or mostly single or male group Sasquatch sighting? That's an interesting one. I'm trying, I haven't had any reports to me of like someone seeing like a mommy Bigfoot, a daddy Bigfoot and like little Bigfoots. Um, although I'm, I'm sure there are some. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Alley talks about multiple uh, sightings, uh, sightings of multiple creatures in Raincoast Sasquatch. Uh, but I've never had any reported to me. Most of them seem like it's single males, which if you think about how like a lot of uh, primates, uh, gorillas specifically, I think operate, it, it kind of makes sense because mostly the females are kind of protected. They kind of stay with the young, you know, and the males go out and either go look for females to mate with, or, you know, they get driven out, I guess, once they reach a certain age to go have their own families, uh, or they go out and, and look for areas, you know, that are safe to bring the rest of the family. But I don't, I don't think they probably travel together that much to where you would see, you know, like three or four at one time. Hmm. That's just the theory. Again, a theory. I can't prove any of it. It's sure. Yeah. But yeah. if you look at anecdotes, it seems like a lot of the sightings that come in involve single specimens, but you know, who knows again? <laughs> Great question though. Uh, Beaker the Muppet asks, 
crows alert predators that potential food is in an area. Do you think other animals collaborate with Bigfoot the same way, such as coyotes? Hmm. I think it's certainly possible. I did have a witness report to me. He saw a, he was on a boat heading down a river, saw a Sasquatch, and he said there were two crows or ravens that seemed to be kind of hanging around the Sasquatch. He says he didn't, he wasn't sure a hundred percent if they were connected, you know, like it, if they were following the Sasquatch, mm -hmm. but he just got the, the feeling maybe that they were. Um, so I think it's absolutely po possible, uh, especially if they're hunters, uh, and they go out and they, you know, kill an animal and they're going to maybe leave some scraps behind. Uh, it, it would certainly be within, you know, the realm of possibility. Yeah. Interesting. Assuming that they're animals, that's something we see within the animal kingdom. I love that. Uh, Lori Gibbs asks if you have been to the cabin where the nail board was in Alaska, where Dr. Jeff M was, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. I'm sure. Oh, uh, that was Snail Grove Lake. I think that was in Canada. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So no Canada yet, but maybe, maybe. Yeah. I've, I've been to Canada, but I haven't been to Snail Grove Lake. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. You said British Columbia just a little while ago. Uh, let's see. Let's see. A couple more questions here. I want to make sure I don't miss. Um, oh. Here's an interesting one. Martin G asks, uh, hi guys, what are your thoughts on a Bigfoot type on our UK soil? Had to say I'm skeptical on sightings here. I live near Canic Chase where apparent sightings have been reported. I, I also have heard of sightings in the Canic Chase area, but can't really speak with any authority to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical as far as UK Bigfoots go. Um, if they are there, then I think that they would have to be some kind of... Uh, that would probably be, have to be some kind of supernatural entity that was like coming and going uh, mm. through a portal or something. I, I just don't, I can't imagine that there's enough forest there to keep them uh, alive and, and secluded, but I've never been there. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. there is. Same. Me neither. UK, UK weirdness. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's weirder than the stuff over here just because there's so much history there, but that could just be me. Uh, here's an interesting question from out and about in the Otways. Uh, I, I appreciate that they took a lot of time to put this together, so I wanted to get to it. Um, question. Some of the locations that I have explored here in the Otways, Australia, have been old abandoned sawmills and other locations that once had a lot of human activity. Uh, they are now abandoned, but I have had possible Yowie activity at these locations. Do you think they live around these areas knowing that humans don't visit them anymore? Yes. Um, there, the, the cabin, Area A, uh, w was a locking operation about 100 years ago. So mm. there was all kinds of activity out there a long time ago, uh, as well as, you know, the, of course, you know, everybody knows about Port Chatham. Uh, so yeah, I think probably they, they hang out in areas where humans used to be, but don't come around a whole lot anymore. Uh, there was, oh, I want, maybe the, it might've come from the BFR. If I'm misquoting here, don't, don't at me. <laughs> uh, but, um, I remember hearing some, somebody talk about how there was a lot of sightings at like campsites that had been, uh, abandoned, you know, like old camp. Uh, campgrounds that maybe had been overgrown and, and left to, to go and then being reclaimed, like uh, being regroomed and, you know, like turned back into campsites and that there were sightings in those kind of areas where there had once been campgrounds. And then, you know, they, for whatever reason, they got um, 
let go back to nature and then they were reclaimed and, and put campgrounds back in there and that there was like an increased uh, amount of sightings in those types of areas. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Great question, Otways. Thank you for that. Um, we're coming up on the hour, Larry, but before we wrap it up here, tell us about the Alaska Watch podcast. Am I saying that right? Yes. Uh, it's just okay. a little podcast I do. Um, you know, I put it out. I don't have a really set schedule to it. Just kind of whenever I feel like it. Uh, I try and do uh, a couple of holiday episodes every year. I'm uh, thinking about doing one here in the next couple of weeks because uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, uh, maybe focused around what a Bigfoot eat. So I thought that would yeah. be a fun little show to do. Uh, but I'm also on all the other socials. I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, I'm on TikTok, even though I don't quite fully understand. I guess I'm getting that age now where I'm like, I don't understand this technology. Same. Bro. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm on the TikTok. I'm on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter and facebook uh all those good things instagram heck yeah heck yeah so we can keep an eye on your show on there uh, i should have mentioned this earlier but small town monsters is on those platforms as well we we follow each other so <laughs> and you can do that too <laughs> well last question for you larry aside from uh your socials and stuff where can we find your books because i know we have a lot of readers in the audience uh, they're all available on Amazon.com. And if you want an autographed personalized copy, you can buy them directly from me at alaskwatchpodcast.com. I have a little store in there. You can get books, T-shirts, stickers, all, all that kind of cool, cool stuff. Uh, the only thing is I do have to charge shipping because it's Alaska. So, well, you know, yeah. but good things come to those who pay for shipping. So <laughs> awesome. Well, Larry, thanks so much for being here. I won't keep you any later. Uh -huh. Um, just thanks, man. It's been great talking with you. I hope you have a great yeah, evening. Thank, thanks for having me. I uh, had a great time. And uh, again, I apologize for the snafu last time. Uh, no worries at all. You know, that, those uh, those uh, internet dog sleds just uh, couldn't make it. That day. <laughs> I feel you. It was like a teaser, you know? It's like Yoda yeah. didn't show up in the first Star Wars movie. That's true. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I went to Yoda. I was watching Star Wars today, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Don't compare me to Yoda. I'm not Yoda. <laughs> Mace Windu? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I do anyway. have a, I do have a lightsaber up there. You see it? I do actually. Yeah. Yep. I was about to right there. Yeah. I was about to apologize for taking you down a Star Wars tangent, but I take it back. I'm not apologizing. Anyway. Thank you everybody so much for being here. Uh, please join us next time for the next live stream and keep an eye on everything that Larry is doing. Cause I'm sure we got, exciting stuff coming soon. Have a great weekend. Be safe. And we will see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. If you enjoyed this show, consider giving it a like, review, rating, or sharing it with a friend. And be sure to visit smalltownmonsters.com for more info about this and other STM projects.